Before the show starts, several of our listeners have been curious about the work I do at OnSite. So I wanted to give you a quick glimpse into what I get to be a part of. OnSite's an emotional health retreat center on a beautiful 250-acre ranch just outside of Nashville. We've got some of the best minds in the therapeutic space that come and create a safe space, honestly, for people just to reconnect to who they are and who they're becoming. And if you want to learn more, you can visit OnSiteWorkshops.com or follow us on Instagram and socials at, at @OnSiteWorkshops. The work y'all are doing there is so important, and I feel so grateful that I've gotten to experience it firsthand. I really hope everyone gets to experience this sort of healing because we're all so deserving of it. Thanks, my friend. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. If I have a tremendous amount of anxiety or sleeplessness um, or pain, what can I learn from that? What is, what is this anxiety? Stop treating anxiety and stress and sleeplessness as this terrible thing. It's a huge asset that you should be using. Listen to that. What's going on when your heart starts to race at work or at home or whatever it is that's causing this anxiety with the inner relationship? Use that. <laughs> There's a reason that heart's beating fast. What are, what are you trying to, what do you need to hear? Hey guys, I'm Miles. And I'm Ruthie. And welcome to the Unspoken Podcast, where we believe that saying the unsaid may be the hardest, but one of the most important things we can ever do. Yes. Our authentic self is the best gift that we have to offer this world, but sadly, we live in this culture that tells us that we should hide it. So we would love for you to join us and listen along, and we hope that you might find connection and healing in the courage that no important words go unspoken. Make up fake love, make them all laugh Come on, someone, take off your mask It's nice to me Today on the podcast, we welcome Patrick Woodyard. Patrick is the co-founder and CEO of Nisolo. His experience using business as a force for good has led him across the globe, ranging from Kenya to Uganda to Argentina and Peru. While working for a microfinance firm in Peru, Patrick was introduced to the broken Peruvian footwear industry, made up of over 100,000 shoemakers who possess remarkable talent yet lack access to consistent work, fair wages, and brand access to established international markets. Having had extensive exposure to such potential contrasted with a lack of access in other developing countries, Patrick created Nisolo with the vision to push the fashion industry in a new direction by serving as one of the first fashion brands to deliver a superior yet ethically produced product to consumers. Miles and I are so honored to be sharing Patrick with you today. Um, this conversation feels really meaningful and special because Patrick's heart is so expansive and his mind is really so remarkable. Not only was this conversation impactful, but it was also our first time ever doing a live recording. So it felt so precious to have so many of our friends and family in Nashville gather in the showroom at Nisolo to share such a sacred time and space with us. Uh, Nisolo has been such an advocate for season two of our podcast, so it's really an honor to kind of give you more behind the scenes of this company and the man who started it all, Patrick, who's really the driving force of this company and his vulnerability and where he took us was just such a privilege to learn more about the man behind this company. So we're so excited to share our friend Patrick with you today.
guys, thank you all so much for being here. This is such a treat, and I am so grateful to get to do this with you, Patrick. Like, I was telling him earlier, I was reading um, some information that he sent over earlier while I was in the tub, just crying, just read. I'm like, this beautiful souls. I'm so grateful that we get to share a bit of your story and your journey um, with this audience tonight and with the unspoken audience. And we love learning about the person behind the brand. So like you've created this beautiful brand, but we're so excited to get to know the person behind it and to know your beautiful soul. So we are just like thrilled to have this opportunity to learn more about you. So thank you so much. This yeah. is such a treat. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. big believer in, in what you guys are doing with the podcast. And, um, this is a kind of a first time thing for me. I haven't done a lot of talking about my own journey behind me solo, much more accustomed to kind of talking about the business and where we've been and all that. But I think it's really important to tell the untold and um, really have loved listening to the podcast in the first season. So excited about season two and to be a part of it. Thank you. So give us some backstory. I want to learn about you. So like childhood, what was that like? Like how did you get to this place today? Give us some of the backstory of who you are and where you're coming from. Yeah, so um, just to get real, real quick. Uh, so someone asked me recently, you know, where did the seed for Nisolo originally start? Like how far back in your journey do you think the concept of what's been created with the company started? And it's kind of been a journey to, to, to find out the answer to that. Someone asked me that a few months ago, but it, you know, last night when I was kind of thinking through you know, the story behind me that's it's been part of this journey. Um, it did go back to childhood in a way. And um, part of it is, you know, I definitely had, like all of us, just some amazing things about childhood and, and also um, some traumatic experiences as well. And I think within that uh, created this kind of deep-rooted uh, sense of compassion. Um, and I think just to elaborate and to kind of give some context, I, um, you know, parents got a divorce when I was uh, about seven years old and um, had to move in with a family friend and my mom was working 18 hours a day to take care of myself and, and my two sisters. And um, then a few years later got remarried and um, that ended up being a, an abusive relationship um, physically and alcoholism and all of that and um, moved away from, that was all in kind of in New Orleans and moved away, got far away from that into Memphis and uh, had some, you know, tragic events happening with my older sister when she moved there and their friend group, her boyfriend committed suicide at the age of 14 and was one of, someone that had started to become a mentor to me and then eventually ended up uh, going to high school in, in Hot Springs, Arkansas and and uh, things started to kind of look up from there to a certain degree. But I think I share that just to say that I think the, that oftentimes what can be a result of uh, pain, I think when you experience pain um, in a small sense, in a big sense, you kind of have two choices on what you do with that. I think on one hand, you can either go the shortcut route, which is um, simplifying your pain and, and kind of blaming people for where your pain is coming from. Or there's another route to go, which is really leaning into that pain, unpacking its complexity, understanding what was maybe going on in the lives of the people around you that caused pain to you or those around you. How deep into their story can you go to understand them, to start to understand um, and empathize with, with kind of their journey? 
And I think the result, if you take that path, um, a lot of times can be uh, a, a deep-rooted sense of compassion. I think anyone, we've all experienced pain, we all know pain in some regard. And so we know that pain is not a fun thing to experience. And so throughout my life, I think that there's been, through high school into university and the types of things that I was involved with there, there was always kind of this um, association with something that was relevant to people that were in pain. Um, I was helped start a racial reconciliation organization in college on the Ole Miss campus in the South. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, helped journey. start uh, an organization that did a ton of work in East Africa and just had a heart for poverty alleviation. And that eventually led to um, moving to Peru and went down there to work in microfinance, but met a, a group of shoemakers, or in particular one named William from the start, who just was incredibly talented and had an amazing family. Um, but there was a lot of pain in that household and a lot of struggle. And I saw an opportunity to, to support there by working with him and um, trying to open up a market, um, an international market for him and a, a number of other shoemakers I would eventually meet to kind of express the, their craftsmanship and, the, and their incredible skill set along the way. So all that kind of deep-rooted way back into a story of, I think, pain that, re that resulted in compassion and taking kind of a longer road and journey to, that's really driven a lot of who I am. If you're, thanks for sharing that. It, it, it sounds like the seed does run pretty deep in terms of what created uh, what we know now to be. And I know you all are going to hear, most of you do know, but if not, you're going to hear more about Nisolo as a company and what they do and how they give back. And clearly, the, you as the leader have a pretty empathetic disposition to even want to create something like this, because it certainly hasn't been easy. You've shared some of your story with me. But I'm just curious about that. what age were you when the divorce happened? Mm -hmm. So the first divorce, I was seven. Okay. Yeah. And at seven, if, and I appreciate how you framed up where the pain kind of took you. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved your take on pain because I think it is universal. My guess is, well, if you all would be willing, uh, just head nods, if you can relate just to the idea of overcoming adversity and pain at some point in your journeys. So it's a whole room full of people that uh, I would say can empathize with what you were so vulnerable to share with us. But at seven years old, it's hard to contextualize pain. And sometimes, uh, well, any time, but especially at that point before your brain's fully developed and it can feel confusing and overwhelming. Uh, but those are words that I might use to describe it. What would you, if your pain had words, what would they say? I think they would say at that age, I just want everyone around me to be okay. And say more about that, because if they were okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's anytime we experience pain, we also experience the beauty of joy and, and happiness in a, in, a, in a much more profound way as well. We recognize that, the difference between those two. And so I think experiencing that, yet also having so many wonderful memories, uh, you know, from childhood as well, I think at, at that age, I didn't want, you know, my mom, my dad, my sisters to be in a place of um, hurt and suffering. I wanted them to be happy um, because, you know, life goes on and there's, there's a lot of things, in it, regardless of your circumstances, to find joy in. And if, if you would uh, maybe even finish that sentence, because if they were happy and okay. Yeah, I think that's been a learning for me that I've kind of unpacked um, this year, really, is if they're okay, I'm okay. 
and that there is kind of a piece of that that, um, you know, again, I think that <laughs> the only way to kind of feed this, the, the sense that you have of compassion is to really get to see other people around you begin to change and learn from um, experiences and evolve and, and begin to see people both in their pain as well as in their joy um, and begin to see yourself in, in times of pain and in times of joy as well. And thanks for getting there. That's where I think I would have gone and it's where I still go. And there are so many, I get the opportunity to sit with a lot of leaders uh, and, and work with them, specifically some that also care about giving back to our world in a social impactful way. Um, and we all have one thing in common, which is what do you need to hear most? It's that I'm just okay, that I'm gonna be okay. Anybody right. relate to needing to hear that message? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I say that to say as a seven-year-old, uh, what we needed to hear the most on the tail end of some of our most adverse circumstances is the message that we'll always need to hear. And so I echo that uh, the seven-year-old certainly deserved to hear that, that you're going to be okay and they're going to be okay, but you sitting here tonight need to hear that too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's a good word for today. Today had its own struggles too. <laughs> And important to know, too, I appreciate you sharing that, because I, when I first started sharing my journey about some of the things that I've been through and the adversity that I experienced and came through the other side, it took me a minute to kind of see both the beauty and the challenge. And I think I spent a little too much time on the challenge, unfairly, to maybe some of the, the folks that were a part of my upbringing. And it, as I matured through that experience a little bit, I began to see what you've already figured out was, yeah, that was painful, and there was a lot of beauty. And if you could share some of, because I would imagine the pain imprinted who you've become as a leader and how you've created this company, but I would bet the beauty did as well. Is there any of the beauty you'd want to share about some of the things that imprinted you as, as a young boy that you feel like helped harvest the seed that has been born into this company? The word that comes to mind for me is resilience. Um, I saw that in my mom, my sisters, um, my dad, um, you know, other family members, and from a young age um, that, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, my mom was painting houses, you know, 18 hours a day to, to put food on the table, and that's resilience. Single mom, three kids. Um, I can think of other moments throughout high school, but kind of relating back to, I think, Nisolo, the reason why I was so attracted to William in the first place as a, as a shoemaker was his resilience. Hearing his story uh, where he had worked in other factories previously and was treated horribly and it just his ambition but his grace and his humility that he offered everybody around him. Um, it's just a complete story of resilience and I think within our, our factory now we have 120 people working in that factory in Peru and the stories of resilience just go on and on and on of people who have just transformed their lives and the lives of those around them and even in William's story in, in particular he uh, he still works with us he's now um, a lead supervisor within the factory and you know his, his circumstances socioeconomically have changed pretty dramatically um, but not as much as they probably should because he constantly gives money away to his community and built a community center and a church within where he lives and is constantly helping everyone out in his neighborhood. And that's just 
who he is through and through. And that's also very true on this side of the business. I think one thing that's interesting and that you can probably relate to this as well is companies like Nisolo naturally attract people who have a deep level of compassion. And oftentimes, people who have a high level of compassion have experienced tragedy in their life. Mm. And uh, they're drawn toward people with a deep sense of empathy. And so that even the stories within our own team, um, you know, I think of my COO, Becky, and her personal journey is just one that's just, she should be on this podcast. I mean, just incredible resilience um, is, is, the, is the word and phrase that comes to mind that uh, still follows me along with kind of great memories from childhood that into today um, kind of accompanying that pain. And I want to hear some foundation. Uh, we're going to be weaving in and out of kind of what you do and who you are throughout the, our time together. But just to give some of these folks context that may not know, Nisolo, um, I learned tonight I've been pronouncing it all wrong. It's complicated. Yeah, but I'll let <laughs> I regret that one a little bit, yeah. although the name is important. And I'm a fan, too. I wear these a lot. So One of the first times he and Vanessa and I hung out, we were eating at Rolf and Daughters. I was like, guys, I need to take you somewhere. And we came here after our first, like, actual friend date. And I brought him over That's here. Awesome. So I was like, this place matters, and you need a pair of shoes from here. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, tell us what it means and uh, kind of what it does, just so they've got some foundation. As I mentioned, I was living in Peru and working in microfinance, and the plan was to go to business school. I was about to take the GMAT and was studying for the GMAT down there at night. And that was I wanted to work with a company maybe like this one day, but then I met these shoemakers and um, found out that it was in the shoemaking capital of Peru, and I didn't even know it. And William's story was the same as 30,000 people within the same city. And it was like, oh, wow, this is, uh, there's a reason I met him that day and happened to be visiting with his wife on the outskirts of this, the city in their home. And she asked if I wanted to meet him. And I think that I can't remember the question. Actually, I got lost there for a second. Beat that. No, you're you're crushing it. You're doing good. This is this is not awkward at all. Is it? It's a little sleep deprivation. <laughs> I have a newborn that's 11 weeks old that's upstairs. Hopefully, she's going to make a cameo. We might hear her, but I didn't sleep a ton last night. But hanging in you're there. You're nailing it. No, I was just going to give if you could give us a quick frame of what Nisolo stands for, uh, what what you do, how it gets. But, I mean, some of these I think most people know, but some people were invited because her came for the unspoken and said, so like, "Absolutely, oh, wow, we're in this beautiful shoe store. What do yeah. we do?" So those shoes around the walls, and um, yeah. So I was telling the the kind of little bit of the origin story to get to the name. So uh, Nisolo in Spanish means technically knee and solo put together, neither alone. And for me, the reason why I, I didn't care about retail, in fact, I still get nauseated when I go to the mall, and I just never cared about fashion much at all. And, but whenever I met William, I realized I'd never really thought about where everything I wear comes from and who's on the other side of, of, of that transaction the deeper you go within the supply chain. And I realized this was back in 2011, 2012, and at that point in time, very little other people were asking that question. And I knew something was wrong with that, um, that we live in, in, in a world where I can get on a plane and be in William's living room tomorrow having lunch, and yet I never think about the people who make the clothes that I wear every day. And um, so I wanted people to remember we're not alone, but also the flip side of that, and the reason why I didn't call it no solo is it's the knee, it's the neither, that 
uh, this world's interconnected. We view our relationships with our shoemakers as as partnerships. We don't. We don't. We're not. This isn't a kind of a, a situation where we feel like we're the heroes of the story and we're trying to help them, you know, make their lives better or something like that. It's no, this is they are extremely talented, insane amount of resilience, insane amount of brilliance and craftsmanship that um, we want the world to, to see and know. Yes, and, and they are, I mean, like, I was originally drawn because I thought they were beautiful and I wasn't really paying attention back then. And then as I've kind of been doing my own um, journey and started paying attention and wanting to be, you know, conscious about where I spend my money and making sure that the people that are creating these things are treated with dignity and love. I just fell even more in love with your brand. And I just, I appreciate so much the intention. And I think it can also be, I think about this with Miles a lot. Like when you are the CEO, the head, and then there's all these bodies and souls that you have been given a privilege to be kind of the leader of, it can be very lonely. It can feel very, um, that's so overwhelming. And we can think that it's like my job to make sure everyone's okay. You know, it's like, how have you, cause I'm sure it's been quite a journey of like, right. what does that look like for you? One of the things with, with Nisolo that is always an ongoing challenge for, for our team is when we decided to start the company, we, I wasn't interested in just starting a shoe company. If I was going to start a brand, it was going to be, we were going to do, we will, of course, from the start, we wanted to do everything right in the perfect way. And you, and you learn that that's a journey and you think you have it right and you don't. But we hold ourselves to just an incredibly high standard of integrity as it relates to uh, people and the way that we go throughout our supply chain. Um, I mean, I think you know people may or may not know this on the podcast or here, but you know the fashion industry is you know just com- completely broken right now with uh, people throughout the the supply chain, the fashion industry, only two percent receiving a living wage, which is enough to cover 2%. their basic two percent within the supply chain receiving a living wage to cover their basic expenses. And people have no idea of that. And um, so for us, it was how can we create a business that's about people in a, in a big way that's about not just sustainability. And not, it's not about just sustainability. It's, it's also about how can we help, help these people help one another thrive? What does that look like? It's not just we provide 100% living wages and people experience 120% income increase, which is true. Those are big things and those are really important. But what's even more important is the financial literacy training classes and the mental health classes and um, getting the whole family involved and talking about family conflict and setting goals and dreams and that much deeper level of work with everyone um, you know, that makes our product. And then the other side of it is really also about the planet and, and recognizing that it's not sustainable is not enough. As we operate as a company, we want to make sure that our, our carbon footprint, we actually have we can cover our complete carbon carbon footprint and and even offer more back to the environment. So making sure that with every pair of shoes that we make, we protect uh, a tree within the Amazon rainforest and actually are doing offsetting our carbons for multiple shoe productions for every pair that we make. So we're trying to make up some of the work of other people and are hoping to double down on that commitment. So it's really about people and the planet. And so high, holding yourself, getting back to your question, that high standard of integrity creates a lot of highs and lows. And it's really easy to get lost in the work that you're doing um, and lose sight of kind of what you're really after. I have to constantly go back to the, to the heart of things, um, for sure, for myself. 
That is beautiful, the work y'all are doing. It really, it's so, um, it's humbling. That 2% is like, that just makes my soul just like, ugh. So this is a huge undertaking. How, in the midst of all this beautiful work and all this intention that you're putting into the world and being in charge of all of these things, how have you taken care of your soul and your heart and your spirit in the midst of creating something that's so beautiful and so good for the world. And I mean, again, I think about Miles, like when you, you're doing such beautiful work in the world that's so needed and our souls are so longing for, like we're all longing for that respite to find a, you know, a place that like we fit, that we're doing work that means something in the world. But like, how do you take care of yourself when you're doing this and all these people are looking to you to make this ship run and you're steering the ship? How do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your family and your soul family? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think this this coming October, it'll actually be the eighth anniversary of the business. And I think I'm only in the past four or five months beginning to answer that question. Um, and even in the last few weeks, I'm in a place where I haven't done a good job of that. I mean, it's a, as you know, it's a journey to do that effectively. Um, but I, I think that, and this has been true of my team as well, I mean, we've poured heart and soul into this company and sometimes, well, often the, what you know is taken care of last is, is ourselves or, or our families. And that's why when we, you know, created our core values as a company. We made the very first one, be present and prepared. And that value for us is about, I can't offer Nisolo anything if I'm not arriving to work each day at a place where I'm bringing my best self. And the only way I can do that is if I'm taking care of the home front, which included, includes myself, which includes my family. And um, I think, you know, I had a and we can get into it if we'd like, but I, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the knee solo journey, a lot of beautiful things and a lot of big challenges. Uh, but by the time October of last year hit, I knew that something was off in my heart and in my mind, and I had no clue what it was. And part of it was that I, I stopped thinking through my heart um, because of how much pain and, and things that had happened along the journey. Uh, regardless of you know the beauty that was taking place and so I had to take a huge step back and I told my team I mean it was Q4 the most important time of the year for our business and um, I took almost three weeks off straight right in the middle of it and had some days of, of silent retreat we mentioned that earlier in our conversation and just did a lot of listening from from mentors from advisors from podcast from and a lot of just sitting in silence to to try to rediscover what does my heart desire and how is that affecting the way that I'm showing up um, for myself and for my family and, and for, my, for my team? And if you'd be willing to share more about, um, would you call that a, sab a sabbatical? or I call it a mini sabbatical. Mini sabbatical, all right. <laughs> Hoping for a real sabbatical one day. That'd be real nice. What, what do you think was the catalyst that led you to be like, okay, I've got a bookmark and and step out for a moment yeah i think that would probably take some quick storytelling just about the journey would it be okay if i kind of teed that up a little bit so we launched in in q4 of 2011 this q4 words oh sorry uh fourth quarter so october november december yeah, sorry oh got it i bet you're not the only one yeah, yeah. i don't know these words and uh 
Yeah, and and from the very start, I mean, we were extremely underfunded. Just got a loan from family and friends, and kind of went for it. Um, and had no no idea that when I started Nissan, I was really starting two companies at the same time. This one that's primarily an e-commerce business um, for women and men, and accessories and footwear, and then also the supply chain. And we made the decision that we wanted to own the vast majority of our our supply chain because. Constantly, I would read. Well, it's you know, fashion can never change. It's too complicated. Well, I wanted to understand why is it so difficult, and definitely have learned the hard way that it's it is a big challenge. Um, but I think people took to what we stood for from the start. We wanted to build a product that just had exceptional quality and design, and at a competitive price point, yet also that cared for people and planet in the process. And so through that, it was kind of ahead of. You know, an ethical fashion movement that's taken the last few years. But even so, we got a lot of early traction. We were able to kind of double in size every year from inception, and and there was craziness along the way. I mean, we're working in a very impoverished city in Peru.、Uh, extortion is definitely a thing. We've gotten plenty of threats, a lot of scary things over the years there. Gang activity is a big thing. I mean, there's been. Probably some pretty wild stories that we could get into, perhaps another time.、Uh, and it was always kind of ups and downs and craziness, and also this incredible beauty and resilience as well. It's like every day when I'm in Peru, and in the first few years, I would spend months at a time there, come back here for a month, go back there for several months, and it was just literally every day I would I would laugh about it. Every day in Peru, I would probably cry, laugh hysterically, and be scared in the same day. It's just was wild in those early years, but we were able to have a lot of early success. And then in 2015, we grew by nearly 200 percent. We acquired a small company, and、uh, things were just rocking and rolling. We brought on investors for the first time in early 2016, and then our product kind of slowly started stopped showing up as much as it should. And What happened was our our supply chain was falling apart, and we had no idea. And that our factory, an ecom brand, can kind of grow at that exponential rate. It's a lot harder for a factory that makes you know consumer goods to grow that fast, especially when it's underfunded from the start. And so we had no idea, but our factory wasn't ready to grow by that much. It was ready to not grow at all.、Um, and so we, we that year we only got forty percent of our inventory on the entire year. So we sent down money over the course of the year for a hundred percent, only got forty percent back. And so we had you know just thousands and thousands of people on wait list. And if any of you remember that, you probably experienced some frustrating going back, never having your size and anything. It was bad. And so what happened was well we. At that we were growing really fast and took on investor money and doubled the team、uh, at, at the time and thought everything was good and then it wasn't and we were continually promised by the team in Peru, we've almost got it figured out. Give us two more months. This is what's going to happen. You know, by Q by、um, October, November, December. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have、uh, holiday. We'll have inventory, and then it didn't happen. And so, literally for six months of that year. With a team, a lot of whom had just started with us, we spent、uh, six months with only three weeks worth of cash in the bank, and then we would get a loan. At one point, I literally had to email every high net worth individual I knew or anyone I knew knew, asking them to offer us a high interest、uh, loan to help us just keep moving. Because I knew that if if we could get the if the supply, there was all this pent up demand. If we could get the supply chain fixed again, which there was signs that it was going to happen, everything would come together, and so. 
2016, very dark days, Q, or October, November, and December, literally I couldn't get out of bed every day because I, when I showed up to work, I knew that I had to show up and lead. And so I knew that, and my team had to, we had to be there for our team that was in a lot of pain and fear and everything else. But I can get, personally, this in my personal journey, the backstory is I could barely get out of bed and my wife literally every morning would bring me coffee and set it by my bedside table just to say, you know, help get your day started before you have to do anything. Let's just get a help jump start. And, you know, she was there for me in a huge way. Family and, and friends were there, were there for me in a huge way. But we ended the year 2017. I thought, man, how can I possibly do another year of this? What's going to happen? And um, I think that's the first time I started to kind of let go of control a little bit and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not in control of this thing. I, and, and at the end of the day, um, I can only show up and do my best every day. My team can only show up and do our best every day, and that's what we're responsible for. And outside of that, um, you know, you have to navigate with, with what's in front of you and, and learn to stop carrying the, the, the challenges of the entire business or all these relationships on your shoulders. And it took a point of complete brokenness to get there. And so 2017 started, and um, in order for us to essentially not shut the company down, we had to grow by 100% that year, and we had to convince a bank to give us a commercial loan of over a million dollars, which we somehow did. And we had to uh, raise just as much money we had raised in the two previous years from investors to get them to trust in us and convince them that we had repaired our supply chain. Um, and a whole laundry list. And we started manufacturing for the first time in some incredible factories in Mexico, about 30% of our production to help offset a little bit of the, the factory in Peru and help um, get them back in kind of working mode again. And we did all of those things. And there was so much to celebrate at the end of that year where really things a lot of companies don't do in a much longer journey. We did in one year. But at the end of the year when we, were, when we had our team in celebration, I was not in a place where I was ready to celebrate. And even though we had kind of rebounded and recovered, that wasn't my story. I was, and I knew it, but I, I didn't know why and I didn't even know where to start to look. And that's why you know, eventually it would take so much silence and deep heart work to figure out where is this coming from. So beginning of 2018 starts, third day into the year, um, I get an email and, and found out that our trademark uh, in Peru had been stolen. And uh, so if any of you got in, uh, shoes in the last year or two and there was only an N on it, or actually all the bags on your chairs we made, uh, that's because we couldn't technically put any solo on anything in, in our factory in Peru. There's a deeper personal story I'll go into real quick and then zoom back out and hang on to those end products, the collector's <laughs> <Yeah>. items. <laughs> Limited edition. Yeah, lots of teeth on those ends. Um, anyway, so it gets a little bit more challenging than that. I, I found out that the person who stole the trademark was also one of my closest friends and and also would eventually would eventually find out that one of the reasons why 2016 and 17 was so challenging in Peru was because uh, within our factory, there was a group of people who were siphoning funds from the company. And one of them was someone who was my best friend and uh, someone that when I first met, when I started Nisolo, needed a job. And I met him in Peru and, and was on the journey and trusted him with everything. And, um, and in your wedding. Yes, and he was a groomsman in my wedding, and I was his best man in his wedding a few years after that. And 
Yeah, so it was, uh, that was a lot to take in. And I, I think what, I, what happened was I had to kind of play the CEO role. I had to just go into fix this issue mode. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put ends on everything. We're going to get this in order. We got to get the lawsuit going. We got to blah, 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 blah. And we got to get, you know, the fraud audit done. And we got to set up all these things to fix all that. And, and I never had time to really feel personally what had happened to me in that one relationship, much less the other people involved there um, and, what, and what happened. And so it wasn't until that mini sabbatical that I started to, to unpack and, and feel that for the first time. Um, and I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but one of the things that really made me recognize uh, how much it affected me was during that mini sabbatical, I started sobbing one day because I missed that person as a friend. And it goes back to kind of that, what I mentioned at the start of the podcast, which was when something, someone does something like that to you, you have an option, which one is to kind of go this easy route of anger and hurt, and this is a bad person, and how could they do that to me, and shortcut it, and minimize, dehumanize them in a way to go, I'm going to put them in this box so I can feel better. And you can't heal in that, in that way. Real healing takes place when you dive into that person's story and you recognize, you know, they were you know, essentially raised on the streets and um, didn't have a high school education and didn't have an opportunity and uh, never had a solid mentor and was in, a, in an environment of greed and hurt and pain and all of these things that only when you go to that place can you kind of re-envision them as a human and we're messy but we're also beautiful and we can also be make huge mistakes as well along the way so that's been part of my journey is kind of is kind of having to go that deep to kind of heal from that um and and move on wow um exhale after that uh probably on behalf of me and all of our friends uh, i don't know whether to be blown away by the resilience of what you shared with your business journey and how many times, I'm sure when you were in bed a few times, did you ever think about quitting? Or? Absolutely. And yeah, and I mean, I think a huge part of it was I had to learn to re-love. You kind of, when something like that happens, you begin to project that pain onto everyone else around you in small ways and big ways. And especially when you're literally a couple thousand miles away from that location, even just the concept of our factory in Peru becomes painful when it comes up. And so I had to go back down there and re-engage and make a commitment. I'm going to go every single, at least once every single three months and... Not <laughs> <That> keyword. <laughs> quarter. And, and spend time, with, because the reality is 95% of the people in that factory are incredible and their journeys and their stories and are just so powerful. And so there was a part of me that I had to learn to begin to kind of um, dissect across individuals to say, look at all these amazing, beautiful people and kind of separate that from a lot of the pain and suffering. And also, like I just mentioned, it doesn't just stop there. I also had to go to the people who hurt you know, me the most or the company the most and within them as being, separate both their goodness that they have to offer their world and their beauty, as well as their, their mistakes and, and the decisions that they've made in the way that it's hurt, hurt me or other people in the journey. Yeah, well, 
first off, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about that friendship. Like that's Thank you. so ugh. I feel that so deeply for you. And I'm I think everyone in this room knows betrayal. And most of us have betrayed people on some level. Absolutely. I definitely have too. I one hundred percent have. We've all hurt people. And I hear you talking about like seeing the human, like realizing that hurt people hurt people and seeing the humanness in someone and then letting it reflect back and seeing our humanness and how we've done things that hurt people. And, but I think there's also such a important thing, like where boundaries come in and learning, like because we can humanize someone and still love them, we can also build a very strong wall up and be like I'm gonna love you from the other side of the street and like hi love you you're not allowed in my space anymore absolutely it's not safe and you don't you've not earned a space here and that's been a really huge learning thing for me and I think all of us know on some level and in our unhealth and our codependency so often we can keep people and we can keep staying in seasons and like going back to things that are hurtful and that we hurt and you know and then with on the journey and coming back to our truer rebuilding to our truer most wholehearted selves like boundaries are so loving it's so loving to us and to those around us it's so loving for your company it, you know it's so loving for your family it's mm-hmm. so loving for your family yeah. and that's Absolutely. so hard like we aren't wired to know how to do that. And it's such a freaking hard, like I'm learning every day and I fook it up all the time. You know, it's like we're constantly on this messy and we, we hurt and we're hurt and it's so painful. But I, what I'm learning and what I'm hearing you say, like that time where you took space to be quiet and be still is when your emotions were allowed to come up because it's always with us, but we're stuffing it down. You're like, I couldn't feel my heart. I felt like numb because we stuff stuff down because it feels so painful that we don't think we can handle it. But like our bodies, our brains, our minds were created to heal. And only in that quiet space are we able to start processing these traumas that happen. Like that was a trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, Miles to kind of bridge that back to the question that you asked earlier. That's the hard part for me is creating those boundaries. And part of how it got to that point was hundreds and hundreds of hours spent with him, knowing that there are not that degree of kind of shortcomings, I guess, but so much work going, all right, here's what needs to be done. Because in so many ways, he was the epitome of what we stand for, which is the effort that so many of our shoemakers put in, it's their hard work that ends up evolving where they are, where their families are, where they're headed, and investing all this time and energy into him time and time again to move from where he started to his skills now as a business leader are profoundly different. And I had to, I had to make the decision. I can't be, I can't, I have to love this person from a distance. And, and he, you know, and... That was a hard thing for me. And also it's true in the workplace and taking it. There, that's a macro version and a kind of extreme version of that happens every single day. Whatever issue comes to my office every day, when I can sit across from someone, see them in their hurt and pain, feel them, feel the pain, love, love them through that, still make the difficult decision, whichever direction that needs to be, 
and also learn to process that pain myself and make sure it just doesn't get stored away. And that's the journey that I'm only, like I mentioned earlier, the last four or five months beginning to understand what that actually looks like. So I've always been okay at, sure, I'll take on the pain and, and then all of a sudden I couldn't feel my heart. It's funny, I, I don't know that much about the Myers-Briggs, but I've taken it a few times and I, I literally went, moved from an ENFJ, the F being feeling, to ENTJ through that season uh, of thinking over feeling because I recognized part of it was I stopped thinking with my heart and I only wanted to think with my mind and that was happening subconsciously. I didn't realize it as a defense mechanism, but I think it's so important to think through, through both and to think through, if I'm not thinking and acting from a place of my heart's desires, I'm gonna burn out or I'm not gonna be doing the things that I think that the world, you know, needs and so getting back to that place where is can only happen when you learn to process um, that pain and that emotion and create boundaries I so value when I when I you first um, wrapped the first part of that story and it was like wow it that was a wow not because of what you said or that I'm surprised by it it was because the courage uh, to speak your truth uh, should be uh, celebrated and as much as you celebrated all your staff after you guys made that big comeback story, mm -hmm. um, I hope they will, and I almost know that they're going to lean in and celebrate you as their leader for being uh, your strongest self and speaking truth. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship is personal. I can relate to the ups and downs of it and the laying in bed at night, sometimes wondering why am I doing this? And I know it's big and good for the world, uh, but it comes at a cost. And I hear you speaking into it as somebody who I would be proud to work alongside or support uh, the anything that you create and lead because you're not trying to separate it. You're not trying to say, oh yeah, this is my personal life and it has nothing to do with my professional life. They're very tethered. Is it wildly important to create an identity to where you know who you are and where that stops from what you do? Absolutely. But to pretend as if it's not personal and that we don't get hurt when things don't work out, can you all relate to that? the hurt and disappointment of whatever your profession is and when things don't go well, it can be heartbreaking. And there was one part in there that uh, I wanted to circle back to. I think, uh, Ruthie, you did such a good job of reflecting what a lot of us were probably feeling. Um, but And I appreciated how you, you connected the dots of, you really kind of described a little bit of the forgiveness process, even though that's not your words or what you said, don't know where you are with your friend. But you said, I have to be able to see his process in order to empathize and heal myself. And I, that wisdom and experience is wise. I appreciate you sharing it with all of us. But I wanted to stop for a moment there and be like, tell us about losing your friend. I mean, I was, I don't know, I was blindsided by all of it. It was kind of one of those things that... Uh, there's no better word for it than kind of complete blindside situation. What do you want to know about him? <laughs> I'm not necessarily about him, just about you. Uh, because I think all of us, as Ruthie said, can relate to betrayal of some kind. But, well, let's just do, we don't have to stay on this because I know we're turning the corner. But I just wanted to make sure we honored that part of you, that you were brave enough to share it. It's so tethered to your business, and I'm sure it's complicated trying to navigate where you go and what you can say and what you can't. But the fact that you say, hey, this all happened and it cost a lot. But at the end of the day, I was really sad that I lost my friend. Right. Yeah. I think that 
the bigger story there is it was an example of thinking with my heart again for the first time in a long time, that that's where my mind and, and heart and mind and soul went, was one of, <laughs> I had packed that so far deep, it, it shocked me the day it happened. I was, I remember I was just sitting in, in silence about half a day thinking through things and out of nowhere, I was, mostly I'd been feeling hurt and anger and frustration. Um, but then all of a sudden there's this kind of profound sadness that took place too. And I think that that was the beginning of kind of being able to think through my heart again uh, in a big way. And, um, and that's what I want to show up and do every day. I don't want to, I want to use my heart and my heart's desires to lead and grow this business. Otherwise, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not something that's, it's just another business at that point. And then you, there, I'm sure there's a part of him that uh, did what he did based on, uh, that was beautiful, beautiful the way you were empathetic about his, where he came from. There was a part of you, I'm sure, that's had lots of silent conversations with about why and frustration and hope you've been able to process some of what would, for me would feel like fear and anger. But I'm wondering if the part of him that stood by you at your wedding before this big mistake happened uh, was here, what would you say to that part? I think just, I still still now can feel just a deep sense of gratitude for the relationship, you know, that existed. I mean, we couldn't be more different from one another. Um, we actually were born on the same day, which is pretty crazy. Um, I think he's a year or two older than me, but we were both born on the, on the same day. And, you know, he grew up in Trujillo, Peru, and, you know, completely different background of education and, and everything else. But deep down, what brought us together was a camaraderie around helping other people and, um, and a dream of creating something special um, in, in this company. And it was so fun along the way. There were so many moments where I you know, still have deep respect for that time and those moments and his resilience and his willingness to put himself out there. And honestly, I think that a lot of you know the roots that probably ultimately led to some of those decisions was his, you know, journey of learning how to process pain and suffering and um, and hardship and not doing the hard heart work that's required to you know value one be present and prepared to show up each day bringing your best self if you're not paying attention to that then you may be bringing someone forth that that's not who you want to be or or what your people around you need and then before we before we leave that and we'll, we'll bounce back to where we left the story off or wherever Ruthie you I think you were having something to share there is take us back for just a moment and then to when you got the call or discovered this. And now here we are, is it a year later? Ish. Ish. Uh, post I'll mini explain. sabbatical. Um, a message that you now on the backside of that adversity would have for you then. Mm -hmm. If you could speak into the day that you got that phone call, what would you share with yourself? So I first started to find out about it actually in, um, or that something was a lot more broken than I thought when I went down to Peru in midway through 2017. And there was kind of this, everyone, all the leadership was lying to me about different things and saying all blaming each other because I think people started to figure out what's going on. And so people, some people within that, including William, 
had plenty of opportunity to get involved, but he was one of the people that was just going to do the right thing because that's who he is. And that's Anna Campbell. <laughs> and um, I think it, I found out about it on that trip, and it was the same time when our whole factory flooded, and there were all these terrible mudslides in Peru, and I barely, literally barely got out of the country trying to come back because all these bridges were torn down, and I, yeah, it's a long story. But anyway, it was a dark, very dark trip uh, when I found that out the first time, and I think what I would say to myself is... Hang on one second. Yeah. We're going to try this real quick. You okay with it? Trying something kind of different? Sure. This is when he does his magic. <laughs> I'm going to play you for a minute. Okay. Uh, in what you were about to share with me, I just got the phone call, and I'm devastated. And now you're on the other side of this, having gained some wisdom and experience. And Don't oversimplify this. This is complex. Uh this is going to be difficult. This is going to hurt a lot. And also, uh, this is going to shape you and um, you and, and everyone around you is going to be okay. We swap for a second? Sure. Jump over there. Um, don't oversimplify this. Uh, you have... Uh, been through a lot leading up to this and then now this. You've taken such an enormous risk uh, to do something beautiful for the world and you didn't deserve this. But you need to know that you and all the people that you lead and everybody around you is going to be okay. Yeah. Privilege to be here and part of this. Appreciate that. We might need to spend some more time together. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend it. Uh, One of the things that Ram Das says, and we were talking about this earlier, and I watched this documentary. He's like had a stroke. I mean, he's literally more spirit than body now. His body's, he can't function in so many ways. And he was talking about being on the other side. He's like, I wish that I could give people the grace that comes from the other side of suffering without having to go through the suffering. I wish you could experience the love and the wholeness and the grace that I feel right now without having to go through the journey to get here. But it's just not possible. And so often when the shit hits the fan and the chaos happens and everything implodes, you get to make choices. So oftentimes it's so bad we want to numb or disembody and disconnect, not fill our heart, because it's so painful, we think we can't handle it. And so we just shut down, try to grind through it. We're like white knuckling our lives, you know? And so we become numb. But if you numb the hard things, you're also numbing the chance to feel all the expansion and the growth and the beauty. But you get to choose. We can stay parked Absolutely. there and stay numb and stay disembodied and disassociated and live out of that pain. Or the other choice that's really freaking hard is like coming back to ourselves, which we love talking about how like all of our scars, all of our wounds are these roadmaps back to ourselves and back to our truest, most wholehearted self that only pain brings us back to. Absolutely. And that place, that soul place, like that I am so grateful 
that your family, that this company gets to be led by you. And I love something you sent us that I got to read today that literally brought tears to my eyes, like the faith journey of like coming back to yourself. I'd love to hear a little bit about that if you're willing to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll jump to that in, in just a second because one thing you said that reminded me of something I've been thinking a lot about. I mentioned, you know, so many people on our own team or in our lives, we all know people going through intense pain right now. And it makes me so sad when I see people become in, imprisoned by their by their pain. And it's so beautiful when you see people starting to break through that because they're just this new person. And I think of a few people in particular right now that I see every day. And and it's just so beautiful to see that. And I think I think I just want to encourage people to remember, use your pain as an asset. One of the mentors that I've spent a lot of time with started to kind of flip a lot of these kind of messages I was telling myself. I have so much, I can't sleep, I've always had trouble sleeping. I have so much sleeplessness, I have so much anxiety, I have so much stress, you know, whatever. And he kind of slowly taught me to, to say, well, what does it look like to use that as an asset? And all this kind of relates to the faith journey, but I think I just want to encourage people, use your pain as an asset. What did it teach you? Where is it pointing your heart? How are you healing? How are you becoming a more empathetic person? How are you, how are you going to use that to stop simplifying complex issues, you know, whether politically and you just want to jump from one side to the other? No, it's complicated. You know, unpack that complexity. Don't simplify it. It's harder work, but you're going to be in the right place. Use that pain that you've been through to learn that process. Um, and so kind of circling back to the faith journey, for me, a huge part of it, yeah, was just learning. If I have a tremendous amount of anxiety or sleeplessness um, or pain, what can I learn from that? What is, what is this anxiety? Stop treating anxiety and stress and sleeplessness as this terrible thing. It's a huge asset that you should be using. Listen to that. What's going on when your heart starts to race at work or at home or whatever it is that's causing this anxiety with the inner relationship? Use that. <laughs> There's a reason that heart's beating fast. What are, what are you trying to, what do you need to hear? Yes. Um, and so for me, part of that is, is kind of learning that was, was I was getting the how wrong getting, this gets back to the faith component for me. I have a, a Christian faith and that's kind of what I believe in. And but I think even if you don't have that background, I think that uh, a piece of it is just kind of the how is making sure that you are resting, finding uh, time for your soul and peace and quiet and solace. And for me, a piece of that from a faith component was really just, I think that I kind of have mostly gone to churches that are, would not be considered even, you know, overly evangelical or charismatic. And so there's this stigma that the Holy Spirit as you know, is basically a third of the Trinity, but a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it's kind of weird. And I think learning the role that we work so hard, and a lot of times we just get the how wrong. The how is actually inviting the Holy Spirit into your life to work through you and to go before you and with you and behind you um, in that journey. It's something that I was, my faith for a long time had just become kind of checking in with God here and there. How's it going? But not recognizing that actually the Spirit, really believing, you can read it all day, but really believing that the Spirit lives within you all day, every day. And um, the how is... I don't have to carry this burden. It's really not mine to carry in the first place. And um, my role is just to use whatever's in front of me and do what I can and, and then move on from there. Um, and so, but that only comes from that place, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, regardless of your faith background, 
of solitude, of listening, um, listening a lot more, and silence. Yes. I don't know where my friend Christine is, but we like spent the day, the first half of the day, like I was like, part of my job today is to be in nature and just still and quiet and listening. It was like, divinity lives inside of us and we go outside of us to look for all the answers. Like, tell me what to do. I do it. I'm like, fix me, make me better. Tell me what I need to do. I'm going to go to this healer and that doctor and this, like, make me better. But like, divinity lives inside of us. Mm -hmm. Honestly, of just this conversation, we deserve that. You deserve this. Everybody deserves to humanize uh, the experience of adversity and pain yes. and the journey to faith. We reserve these far too often, and I'm in the professional helping space, but we reserve these too often for the anonymity of a closed door with someone who will never hopefully reveal that maybe we have some challenges when the truth is, when we humanize this experience, we all feel more together and more locked arms with where we go forward. And I think that's I have learned this as, as an entrepreneur and also running an organization that for the first half of my career, I wanted people to see what I felt like was my best. I want them to see my success story, the highlight reel. And then I never really shared much about the struggle and the adversity and the ups and downs because I thought, if you know, will you really trust me? And boy, did I have that backwards. What I've learned is the more you know, the more you trust me. And the more I reveal, and I think all of us that have an opportunity to share a message, whether whatever effort you lead, we need to sit in as many circles as we stand on stages. Because at the end of the day, this is what matters, that we can connect and be real with one another and drop the guard. And I don't know about you all, and this was not us coming up and giving an ad for this beautiful company you've created, but in a sense, now that I know more about the man behind it and the, and the, the wonderful team that's behind it, and I've met several of your team and they're all amazing, um, you better believe I'm ready to support this company. Because I think it's just getting started and I can't wait yeah. to see what you do to interrupt and disrupt the fashion space. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think one thing that's kind of on my mind, kind of relating back to some of the, the words you just shared that were so beautiful. Thank you for those, Ruthie. Sometimes it's really hard for us to get to that place of seeing the beauty of pain, and some, sometimes it's really hard for us to, um, especially within a faith background, to get excited about that time of solitude or it's to make a, it happen. It's and worse. Yeah. I never want to do exactly. it. And then on the other side. <laughs> and I think, speaking back to kind of what I learned from the mini sabbatical that I took, and since then is... For so long, I wanted the way that I dealt with, I thought I could just use discipline to um, allow me to experience communion um, with God and, or even for my heart to be in a good place. It, well, if I could just, all that, that phrase, how many times do you use that one? Well, if I could just, and what I realized and kind of learned was I was starting from the wrong place. Just like every, everything I've done in my life, I work really hard at it and I you know, go all in, I'll start to kind of figure it out. That's not really the way that finding truth really works. The way, the way it works is you don't start with discipline. You have to start with a, from a place of gratitude. And the only way that you actually originate in a place of gratitude Oftentimes, especially when there's messiness and that gratitude is buried deep within, 
whether it's ambition that, that can really get in the way. Um, Rob Bell has this great podcast about ambition, and he talks about how ambition's important. We have really good things to do, but ambition has to ride in the back seat. You have to drive the car, and it's so easy that we, we let ambition take over, and it can cloud gratitude. It can literally create a false reality for you of, of how beautiful what's going on in your life is. And on my sabbatical, I, one of the days I spent in complete silence, and it was in about in the and the first night that I was I wasn't scared of sleeplessness. I was wide awake for about four hours, frustrated, all these all the feelings, and then I was just smiling in the middle of the night in a place of complete gratitude. And the same thing happened about four or five hours into that day of silence. That if we can just silence our minds and distractions and, and everything enough and go deep into those corners of pain or suffering, whatever it is, and really you begin to actually see your life for what it is. When you can remove that distraction of the cell phone or people screaming at you, like, go there. And I would be very surprised if, and it may take people three weeks or three months or three years, but I would be very surprised if you didn't end up in a place of very deep gratitude and contentment. Thank you so much. This is, um, I'll be chewing on so many of the things that we talked about tonight, and it feels, yeah, I'm so grateful to know who you are. I'm so grateful. I've loved your wife since she was 13 years old. She was in the youth group of the church I used to work for in 80 billion lifetimes ago. Like, I would literally babysit for her family when they were out of town and go, like, on spring break with them. So I've just had, I love you guys, and I love your family, and I'm so honored to get to do this life with y'all and support what you're doing and it's beautiful it's so beautiful and i'm really really proud of you so thank you for sharing this time with us we're so grateful thank you and i just want to flip it back to this group for a moment because this is um as we try to do with every conversation that we have it's uh not really about us or the guests it's about the collective it's about all of us and that's you all are the hero of any of these journeys that we try to take people on and that's the whole point and why we did it to begin with is that we could create community that saw each other as human beings instead of human doings that we can all go out and do great things and accomplish wonderful things and for those of you that are out there thinking i'd like to start something that gives back I'd like to start a social enterprise. And you just heard a, a tough story about what that can be like. I could give you another one. Mine's not as even tied to a social impact as yours is, but we're trying to do something that gives back. And it's not easy. And it, I can tell you, at least from my perspective, it's 100% worth all the adversity that has come with it. And I've got some people here that work with me. I bet they could back that up. Because of all the challenges, just like you reflected on your childhood experience, there is as much beauty to balance that out as anything I've ever experienced. So whatever you're thinking about leaning into, let this be encouragement for you, that the world needs more people like this man right here and like the people in this room. And we will change things, but it has to. It won't come through the lens of a of the helping profession. It's gonna, or, or even, honestly, I think faith and psychology have beautiful truths that can help, but we both bring a lot of baggage to the table. But you all, in business and education and politics and all the areas of life that you might come from, that's the way we change things. It's from our living room out. And so just showing up here tonight is a big deal. And I hope you walk away feeling better. I certainly do, just from sitting with you. So thank you. Let's give our friend one more hand. And if everybody could.
now you know uh, why Ruthie uh, is such a champion in, of this brand and why you have shared it with me and now I'm a champion of this brand and I hope we all walk out of here being champions of the beautiful work that is happening at Nisolo. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Make up, fake love, make them all laugh. Come on, someone, take off your mask. It's nice to me. Thank y'all so much for being with us today. We know your time is valuable, so it truly means the world to us that you would spend your time and energy with us. And thank you for being willing and open to walk right into the tension of saying the unsaid. The music from our podcast is from one of my favorite bands, Oliver Riot. And this song is called Alcatraz from their EP, Hallucinate. I cannot speak highly enough about these musicians and friends. Check out their beautiful music on Spotify and online. And a huge thank you to Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio who edit and mix the show. If you want to learn more about The Unspoken Podcast, please go to theunspokenpodcast.com for show notes and more information about the guest. And feel free to follow us on Instagram as well at The Unspoken Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe to keep getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered straight to you. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We can't wait to share with you all of the upcoming conversations with some really special people. And we hope these fill you with the hope that we might all find connection, healing, courage, and the strength to leave no important words unspoken.